Welcome to Socially Unacceptable, from f***ups to fame, the marketing podcast that celebrates the professional mishaps, mistakes and misjudgments while delivering valuable marketing and life lessons in the time it takes you to eat your lunch. Hi everyone and welcome to Socially Unacceptable, the podcast for marketers, PR professionals and entrepreneurs looking to grow their brands and gain competitive edge. This is the podcast that actually celebrates the big marketing mistakes, mishaps and misfortunes that we all make. And let's face it, we all make them, don't we? Whether we admit it or not. So I'm your host, Will Ockenden. And in a slight change to our established format, I'm joined by our occasional co-presenter, who's probably much more popular than both Chris and I, Vicky Murphy. Hi, Vicky. Pleased to be here. I'm back. Yeah, just warming Chris's chair. Absolutely. For yeah. One sure. week only. One week only. Well, you never know, do you? You never know. So today's guest is Laura Brown. Laura is an award-winning international marketer currently looking after global marketing strategy for Engtel, one of America's leading technology and engineering staffing firms. There's a whole load we're looking forward to digging into here, including the challenges of remote working, launching into new markets, and how to maintain company culture um, when operating remote teams. So that's enough of an intro. Let's dive into the pod. So welcome to the show, Laura. Um, Thanks very much for joining us. Why don't you start by um, talking to us about your career path that's led you to being an international marketing director then for Engtel? Of course. Yes, great to meet with you both today. Um, So I can start from um, early beginnings. So straight out of university, jumped on a plane, did the whole backpacking thing to Oz and worked in a commission-only door-to-door sales role. Um, I really loved it, funnily enough. Um, the energy, um, you know, that sales environment and, you know, the people and, of course, the sunshine too. However, um, once my year was up, I came back to the UK in the middle of the recession in 2008. And I did find it really difficult to land my first proper marketing job. And the employment market was so tough at the time. Um, finally got into an agency and that was a website agency, so quite a lot of old school SEO, um, but really loved it. And then from there, started to work in a lot of in-house marketing roles. So, um, you know, that was really to learn what I could, get as much experience, um, you know, as possible. And I've worked in a variety of industries from logistics, law, for um, further education, renewables and um you know within my current remit i've worked in recruitment marketing for around seven years now and um here i am at engtel and um why don't you tell us a little bit about um engtel's sort of background history and 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 what their proposition is yeah of course so engtel has been um in operation since 2017 so we're a british-owned company and you know our founders are both um you know from the recruitment world they've got a wealth of expertise and uh chris our ceo he has lived in the states for about 10 years now so he moved over with his last firm and you know really built a life out there our co-founder mark had you know a very successful recruitment agency that was um very well known within the european markets um it was a huge deal at the time that um when the when he sold that business and they set up Engtel together to specialize initially within engineering solutions 
for the staffing market. And then that moved into technology. Um, we also have construction and a multiple brand, brand portfolio now, including life sciences. So um, it's a, a full integrated mix of a service offering. We only specialize in North American staffing. And, um, you know, it, it is quite wide ranging in that sense. Okay. And um, your remit then, your, your global marketing director, but based remotely from the northeast of England is that right? Yes so um, I came on board around two and a half years ago to begin the scale-up of the marketing team for Intel um, and the founders were looking for somebody that understood the recruitment space and somebody with that international marketing experience um, so you know it was a perfect opportunity for me to you know expand my global marketing remit and build and scale a team. And I do feel like I get the best of both worlds because I do regularly travel out to the States as well for work. And that's really helped to connect everything that we do. So yes, it, it is quite unique where we've got a UK marketing remote team that operate and service our US um, sales teams. So is all of your team based in the UK or do you have um, kind of marketing operatives in, in, in the US as well? How Talk to us about how the team's set up. Yes, of course. So how I've set up um, the marketing team has been, you know, developed around the business needs and, you know, what has been required at any given time. So um, the skills base is set up around our core remit within the marketing strategy and with that, I've got a mix of people based in Newcastle, so on the ground with me. And then um, we do also have a couple of people that are in the States as well. So it's, it's quite a fluid dynamic, um, but it, it, it's meant that it's been reactive to working within a very, a very fast paced industry. Um, and of course, the, you know, the markets that we operate in are, are very innovative and we need to keep up and, you know, highlight and demonstrate what we do alongside what is required within the service teams. I was just going to say, did you have you worked remotely like this before then, before this Engtel role? No, not at all. So um, I think it is definitely because of the pandemic that a role like mine exists and, you know, the opportunity that's been provided and delivered for the rest of my team as well. And I think before the pandemic, it probably was very rare that you would get roles like this um and I, I think now because you know how remote the work force has got um and it has become the norm to you know operate like this it's opened up opportunities for marketers based anywhere to work on global brands from their home office and I think with our team, of course, you know we have that extra element where we do get to you know be on site and travel when it's needed um, but we've created a very solid dynamic of working remotely for a company that's of course based in America. So that must have had a unique set of challenges I would have thought you know not only um, sort of setting up and building a team remotely but also working and coming up against the kind of the cultural differences which may be subtle but are, but are important I'm sure um, in, in terms of working with the US companies. So What's that been like then? So how did you actually go about building a team? And, and I guess, how do, you, how do you kind of you know, recruit for those roles? How do you keep the team motivated? What have you learned along the way? Yeah, 
I think initially it was about time zones. So there's a six hour time zone between, um, you know, where we are and in Chicago, which is our main HQ. And it was about that education around, you know, servicing sales teams and creating that buy-in and visibility and education about what marketing does and what we what we bring to sales and how we can really sync that. Um, so a lot of education work was done to build out what the marketing positioning was within Intel and, you know, create a very integrated core team within a remote capacity. I think with the, like going back to the hours, um, it was creating that education around, you know, when we would be online, when we wouldn't. And just so people, you know, had that expectation of when their requests would come in and when we'd be able to get back to them. And I think now, of course, you know, we've really fine tuned that over, over some time. Um, but it is just about creating that strategic approach to how you build out a marketing function that is operating remotely how do you keep that visibility and it is you know that for me was always something I was really mindful of this at the start of my journey with Fentel I really wanted to ensure that people knew who Wally was who the face of marketing was who the team you know were and what they were going to be doing and you know longer term of course now that we've launched it's about highlighting demonstrating impact where have we helped what success have we had and how the team can work with us as well so i think often with sales teams or you know with anybody that you're servicing they might not actually know what they want from you so you've got to really dig in and find that information out and it's about those questions that you ask so you know the last time that i was in chicago i repositioned the, the marketing meetings i could get as much out of the team as possible and actually labeled them as marketing therapy sessions so i wanted them to come to me and say and well once i'd ask the question you know what are your pain points right now what are your challenges what's keeping you up at night and um, what are you finding difficult and that information finding out their issues got me to a point where I really understood what was happening with our clients and, you know, our candidates and the markets that we, that we service. So I can find out quickly and identify what's needed and the priorities as well. And I think as a remote team, going back to that, because, you know, within marketing, you've always got lots of plates spinning and it's about trying to identify which ones you need to prioritize, what matters, what's going to add that impact and where you can be best placed. Um, and it, it is really easy, and I think we've all been there before, where you can get very overwhelmed in the day-to-day, and you've got to rein that back to what the strategy is. So with my team, we you know, have a very structured strategy, but it is reactive because, of course, you know, we're working in a very fast-paced um, industry, and everything that we do can, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit reactive, but we've always got cool pillars in terms of the campaigns that we're operating on. And with that, my team have a good sense and understanding and clarity of you know what's expected of them and what they need to own. And I think that gives that independence and freedom for people to be able to create and really you know get those solutions through creative, creative um, opportunity within marketing. Um, so I think that's something that you know has been one of the biggest areas of what I've done with my team is that they all know and understand what marketing is going to be doing and the same on the you know the other side for the sales teams where they have a clear understanding of 
what marketing is, what we do, how they can really tap into us. And it's almost like operating like a, an agency, but internally. Yeah. So we service our consultants and then we service, you know, the markets as well. Um, and that's how, it, how it's really been set up. What was it you called that? Marketing therapy sessions, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. So, you know, you're out there in Chicago face to face. You can have these really kind of engaging chats with people you then head back to the northeast and the reality is you probably get about a three-hour window don't you when everyone's online together or or whatever it is what kind of um i I guess from a tech point of view you know how do you manage that day-to-day interaction because there'll be there'll be people listening to this who who do run remote teams whether it's international whether it's even in the uk and they'll be thinking i I really need to keep the team engaged you know and i need to i need to kind of make sure I'm, i'm visible at all times how do you do that you know is it just a case of teams or do you do you use kind of workflow tools and things like that yeah of course so teams is you know one of our main communication platforms um, so that's for you know general messaging and and so forth so that would be more of a, a check-in with everybody monday is what i use as a project management tool for the team so that's just for marketing independently and then you know everything will go in there so example being all of the Chicago meetings the projects that came in all allocated and we just use that within within marketing so the sales team don't have access to that if required for project timelines and time frames for managing expectations about when work is going to be completed and just to provide that transparency then I might run a report where you know a manager can see what's going to be happening and um, we have regular meetings with the teams so any everybody knows when we're available and as you've mentioned there we've got that window for meetings in the morning um i guess for us in uk time it's a bit of a luxury because we've got a few hours where we can really deep focus in on work have our own marketing meets as a team and you know do all of the stuff that needs to happen before the us wakes up and then the meetings start mm. So it's actually quite a good cycle for us because we've got a system in place where you can get a lot done before the emails begin, which is uh, probably quite a quite a luxury mm-hmm. for us, actually. Yeah, time zones can be an environment. I mean, I, I used to work um, in um, Sydney and I, I was working remotely for a UK agency and they would, for example, work on a pitch, hand it over to me. I'd have then a whole day and a whole night to work on it hand it back to them and it'll be finished so it's almost kind of making use of the the 24-hour clock isn't it um here's an interesting one vicky i don't don't know what you think about this um a friend of mine is a is is in the is a marketer but is in more of a kind of a developer and he he has a team of about five working remotely they will sit there all day long with um with zoom on just on their face as if they're in a virtual office oh i'm not sure about that. i know I, I found that so weird I, I, do you ever do that literally where so the, the camera strange. for eight hours will just be on your face and then it's as if you're in the office and you but can is just... that a lack of trust thing or... no it's just um that's how they like to work and apparently that's a developer thing that's you know that's how developers will work because wow. i've gone in, i've gone into his office and there's just been two or three people <laughs> sil- silently on screens very strange. Have you ever thought about that? It's a little bit like bit weird, weird but that, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, it, it gives me Big Brother vibes, to be mm. honest. Um, I don't think I would do that because I would feel like it's in a bit of an invasion of people's yeah. privacy. Um, mm. You know, if you want to get up, make a coffee. Uh, and do you trust my team? You know, for me, it's all about that output. Um, and if you that must work great for that company. So, you know, whatever works for them. But I think, um, you know, within our operations and 
if you are building out a remote team, if you are bringing in people that, you know, are talented, are, are do, you know, very skilled and you can see the passion, you know that they want to do well and, you know, all of that lines up, then giving them that accountability and independence and, you know, freedom to, to work on projects so you can, they can be as creative as possible. It's not sneaky. You have to trust your team. So as you've, because presumably it was, was it just you as you kind of set up the marketing division for, was that a short period of time that you were kind of? Yeah, it was. Um, So I came in, in early summer of 21 and I was just completely remote and I must say I'm definitely more of a people person so I found it a little bit hard at first because it was totally new to me I'd always been in offices and then um, I started to bring in a team marketing of really you know kicked off and it was really working and um, you know there was just a need for building out the team quite quickly and I think the scale of the business was happening at such a fast pace that marketing needed to really coincide with that growth and for me to be able to deliver on what my expect you know what the expectations have been placed on me the responsibilities and the goals of what we wanted to achieve it was just really important to start getting people in so um my first hire was in social media and digital and then we built out the team of lead generation, marketing, and then content writers, and then more generalist marketers to be able to service across the accounts. So the current structure really works for where we are. But I do see, you know, again, like marketing teams do need to evolve around what the brand portfolio is, what you're doing at any given time, and have that adaptability. So for me, it's all about really assessing not just even on a yearly basis, but what, you know, on a quarterly basis, and that's how I've set up. Have you kept that team local to you so that you're able to do any face-to-face work, or have, has kind, has location not been an issue for you, and you've kept quite a remote remote workforce? Thanks for listening to the show. We pack it full of information and tips and advice to give you something to take away to your desks. But this little ditty is to remind you that we do real-life events as well. We do webinars, don't we, Will? We do. We do them quarterly-themed. We do about 12 to 15 a year. Correct. They're aimed at senior marketers. They're very value-orientated, aren't they? So they're And they're free! They are free, which is great. They last about an hour. And they're on the, the issues of the day, really, aren't they? We always do a trends one in January, which is really really well subscribed yep. um, later this year for example we're doing one on AI we're doing one on link- next generation LinkedIn use podcasting super practical very very valuable in terms of the content we give they do sell out though don't they so yeah. we, we advertise those on our website visit prohibitionpr.co.uk and click on the events tab they're free you can sign up come along we'd love to have you on board because you know take your phone out of your pocket and and join us on a webinar as well get to meet us that'd be great as I say they do sell out so sign up now <laughs> So with that, that, that is a really interesting question because I think for me, it was about within marketing and it does really help and assist with the type of work that we do to have people on the ground sometimes where you can have those creative brainstorm sessions, you can check in on, on each other. And it was actually also really important to me to 
build out opportunities for other Northeast marketers to be able to experience that global remit of what, what's possible. I think as well within the Northeast, you know, there's a, some really incredibly talented marketers and I did want to build out a team that I could have on site, but also we will look to forecast for hiring in the States as well. So for me, it, it, it worked well to have people, particularly at the early stage of my growth within the company. So my career was just starting to, you know, develop with an Intel. I was just getting my feet um, sort of like under the table, so to speak, and bringing in people around, around me to be able to assist with such a fast-paced progression within, you know, Newcastle was important and it and still is and then alongside that being able to then develop and identify and build out and manage people within the states was was a bit more the secondary phase um we'll move on in a minute to um the, the kind of state of marketing in the us i think that's something we're really interested in but bef- before we go there a couple of areas just to talk about um obviously you know, we know that um, the highest performing teams are kind of culturally aligned, aren't they? You know, people have the shared values, shared cultures, and they consistently outperform those teams that, that aren't aligned. And this is a conversation we have with our clients and with our with our contacts a lot. You know, we you know people will tell us they've got remote teams, but how do how do they maintain that culture? Um, how do you do it? You know, what advice would you give for for companies that are setting up a remote team? They've they've perhaps got a strong culture already, but they've suddenly got a remote workforce. How do you how do you have um, how do you maintain that? Yeah, I, I think that is a challenge and it is about how can you create a sustainable culture when you've got remote operations working, you know, globally or, you know, within a different country. Um, I think where we've had success with that is that I was always very conscious about ensuring that we translated the Intel culture to Newcastle and ensure that, you know, we've got that communication, everybody feels part of the team. Um, And how we do that is through just ensuring that, you know, there is a structured approach to making sure that everybody has that inclusion, that feeling of being part of something big and what's achievable. And that can start with their their role and position in the business and where they see their job heading. So ensuring that there is progression plans in place for the team so they know what their work is going to, you know, attribute to and how they can, they are part of the journey. Um, and I think, yeah, yes, we are in a bit of a different position where we get to go out regularly to the States. So we've been able to, you know, create friendships and have, you know, um, really good working relationships because we we know people we you know we go over we do a lot of social events and incentives we spend every holiday party there um but if you don't have that opportunity then creating that is about ensuring that there's visibility across all areas of the business so even the founders regularly check in with you know my team make sure that they're okay we do well-being meetings we have regular um monthly team meets there's check-ins on a regular basis to see how everybody's getting on we have marketing ideas meet so within my team we actually have a direct meet with our CEO 
and we'll go through brainstorming ideas and I think that really helps to solidify and identify what needs to be done yes but creates that investment and highlights that investment from the CEO from you know the chairman about where marketing is going and what we're part of so that's that's a really big part of it and I do think that with with remote work, you do have to have those check-ins. Yes, you're talking about work, but you do also you're human. What we all are, and you need that space to you know find out about how people are, what have they done on the weekend, you know, is there anything going on in their lives that you need to be aware of, and yet yeah, all of that is about caring about the people that are around you and that are part of the business, and it's been a big investment. But I th- but again, I think with if you are in a remote capacity you just need those check-ins you need that communication you have to give your team time but you also have to be really engaged in that because a zoom meeting is very different from when you're in person so and you've probably been there yourself when you can see somebody maybe you know looking away or they're checking the phone when they're talking to you and you just don't feel like you you're in the room with them so if you are meeting with your team you have to be fully focused listen and listening is one of the biggest things that you can do so I think because, of course, with, with Zooms, you might have 30 minutes, you might have an hour, you might have less, but you, you've got to definitely be not just talking to people, but listen to what they've got to say and then how you respond to that information. Are you going to take action on it? Have you, have you then reflected on what, what their viewpoint is for people to feel understood and to feel part of the team? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that the tendency is... Well, the the disengagement during meetings thing, you know, I felt I found myself scrolling the sidebar of shame on the Daily Mail when I should be listening to the meeting, and, and but you can see it in people's eyes, can't you? When they, yeah, when they but do. I do think that people have become much better at building genuine connections via Teams. Obviously, the past few years have, have meant that you're on using services like Teams much more. But I do think that and taking that time to have the more personal conversations. So it's not just into a meeting and out and, you know, you're able to build up connections. I do think it has shifted that you can build, like whether it's overseas or just, you know, from one office to another, you can build those relationships. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, um, we at Prohibition, we, we have a combination of um, chats which can become overwhelming at times. Yeah. But then you have different, you know, you have a banter chat, you have a chat that's client yeah. specific, you have a company wide chat, you then have obviously video meetings where appropriate. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of too many video meetings and you mm. look at your watch and it's four o'clock and you've gone back to back to back to back. You've not actually done any work. So so it's a balance, but it's it's really it's interesting to see how you know there's nothing more remote than being based in the northeast and what, fifteen thousand miles away looking after yeah. a team in Chicago. So um so you mentioned personal branding, which I found quite interesting, and I, I definitely think personal branding in the UK last twelve to twenty-four months it's been it's been massive, particularly in B two B, and people are quite rightly looking at building their own personal brands as a way to get around the algorithm changes on the social networks. Great tool for lead generation. So interesting to hear you talk about that. What else are you seeing, kind of emerging or big in the states at the moment? That you think might start to come over to the UK and influence what we're doing here? I think within our market, within staffing, so, you know, I'm pretty immersed in that rather than, I guess, looking at trends or tools that, you know, you may see people starting to adopt like threads, for example. I think my most important area of looking at, you know, what's happening within the US to the UK would be 
considering the service perspective. And I think within recruitment, um, I've seen a big move away from corporate messaging and moving into more of a human-to-human approach. So that authenticity, and as you, you know, mentioned there quite rightly about personal brand, it is about identifying and showcasing what your brand is all about and what it embodies and how you're going to really communicate that to your audience. And I think now, you know, more than ever before, your target market is very attuned and aware of when a brand comes across fake almost. And it's about starting to really look at that and understand that your brand is actually owned by your community. And I think there's a huge shift now within the US, within the UK, to really identify and look at how your audience is behaving as a community. And are you building that community? And are you invested in understanding what your community wants and I think for me that's probably one of the biggest things within recruitment too that I'm starting to see where there's there's a lot of purpose-driven work so a lot of people may be tapping into increasing diversity in technology and you know looking at how they can be much more mission-driven so moving away from a put the push messages and creating much more of an equilibrium around what they're doing for their target market. So touching on diversity then, um, one of the things that you as a company have focused on is the foundation that you set up around Diversify the Future. Um, So I know that that was shortlisted for a drum award um, and I just wonder whether you could talk us through really why that was a really important initiative for you and where you see that going over the next few years. Absolutely. So as I've mentioned with Engtel, you know, we are a people business and it is all about the relationships that we're building and, you know, the community. We have a commitment and a responsibility to work with within our markets and enable them to grow and thrive through having the right people in place. What we what we identified is that there was a, a big lack of diversity and inclusivity within the industry working with our clients to be able to help them and support them and also the people that would be working for their businesses to know where these opportunities were, to allow them to find these opportunities and to become part of a, a bigger a bigger picture and to enable you know people from all backgrounds to be able to thrive. So the diversify the future Foundation Programme is an initiative that was set up to really allow underrepresented um, people within the Chicagoland area that are interested in STEM degrees an opportunity to receive funding for their scholarship and help them and uplift them to be able to be educated, train in a particular capacity within STEM. So what we do is we work with our clients who then once we've found them you know somebody great we place them and we will then use some of that fee towards the scholarship pot and then that is utilized within the education system to help to help people and I think for us it is about that giving back because we are in a position where you know we want to ensure that you know the talent pipeline maintains and it's sustainable but that people from all backgrounds can really you know thrive and it isn't just you know the people that we're helping 
it'll be generations to come. So it's that socioeconomic responsibility that you've got as a business. And I think that's what we should all, you know, companies, there is much more emphasis, I think, on a lot of companies around their ethics and how they're approaching business and how they're helping and supporting and, you know, helping communities to thrive. So we set that up about a year and a half ago. We've had some great success off that. And then um, talking about success from the back of that, we then set up the Her Success Podcast is a platform for women to really listen to the viewpoints of leaders um, within their space and, you know, for them to have an opportunity to hear their own, you know, challenges that they may have faced themselves or things that they really want to know about to get ahead in their career. So we've opened that up too. And that's had, you know, that's been a great success and it's really benefited our community and we see that as something that you know we'll really start to build on so yeah both really worthy and valuable initiatives i I guess um i'm wondering what came first the campaigns or did you initially develop a de and i policy and that this this kind of fed out from it because i think there's the danger quite unfairly in some cases of being seen as being kind of virtue signaling isn't there when you do this kind of stuff but if it's backed up by something really substantial that 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 really gives it the right foundations, doesn't it? Is that how you did things? Yes. So with that, we first, you know, built that out within our own company as an internal program for DNI, and to ensure that you know that we were ourselves aware about what mattered within you know our own company and the people you know within Intel, and then how could we start to really activate that for the communities we served. So we had enough information, educa- um, understanding ourselves to be able to deliver a programme. And you're absolutely right. We didn't want to make it just a tick box. And for us, it is about really building out that community and leading, you know, from the heart of the business to be able to do that. Okay. Um, we're going to put you on the spot now a little bit, Laura. So um, you'd have seen the uh, the focus of the show is about fuck-ups or more specifically the mistakes we make in business that we learn from. And we've all made mistakes, Vicky. haven't we, Vicky? Many. That's, that sounds terrible. I feel like you're about to it, it reveal one of accusory. mine. I, th- yeah. I think I make more mistakes than most, actually. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The first, no, I'm not going to say that one. No. No, I don't think that. I'm, I'm not I ready. gave away my biggest mistake the first time I was on here, so I feel like I've done. Remind us what that was. Um, well, my mistakes are more around clumsiness, I'd say. So I'm just like a, I do a lot of things wrong when it comes to breaking and I've got a bit of a reputation ah, for that. When you broke the monitor. Just you, a lot of things. Yeah, I remember Laptops. That. I remember Yeah, that. a lot of monitors. Easily done. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, the first ever job I got in PR, naive 21-year-old wearing an ill-fitting suit, walking into my first office. Hi, I'm the new guy. You know what you're like. Um, and I tried dog dirt into the office. Oh, God. What an entrance. My, um, my, wow. I'm still in touch with my old boss, and he's never let me forget that, actually. I do actually have a really... Another one that was quite tragic, I, I went up to um, Scotland for a, a kind of PR event, but I was really heavily pregnant. I was probably like f- five weeks off giving birth and the event was with Jedwood, you know, the twins oh, I remember from X Factor. Wow. And it was, back yeah, and it was at a school <laughs> and it, it must have been a, t- a time when they were re- there was a real hype around Jedwood and there was loads of school kids outside the school and... Basically, the taxi that brought Jedwood in rode over one of the school children's f- 
beat. But but the school child was skiving from school with his mother. Like, they'd come to find Jedwood. So then the, it didn't hurt the child. I'm sure it was like a toe, a big toe or something. Just but it was just carnage. Yeah, it was absolute carnage. So so the, the mum was like, we... We have to come in and meet Jedward. They've broken my child's toe, and I'm like waddling around. So your, your proactive brief suddenly—it was to just a awful. Yeah, brief. yeah, yeah. Cri- I'm quick crisis that didn't hit the local. Probably did. It was a while ago now, but it, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we t- we brought yeah, her in we, and did we, a little meet and greet. Little Jedward meet it. and greet. Got away oh, with it oh, nice. mm. until now. <laughs> yeah. until, until the parents are listening to this podcast. Yeah. So we've taken the heat off you a little bit there, Laura. So come on, what mistakes have you made? Any okay. any that stand out that you've you've learned from? They may be as lurid as that they may not be go for it yeah I think um you know mine have been more around if I haven't followed or trusted in my gut and I push past that feeling so um I've been working in a public sector role for a few years and you know I had a great team really loved it but I just got to the point where I knew I wasn't going to get any further you know you you're in bands and you know that was sort of like the end of the road there um, so I'd loved working in the house and I'd actually always said that I'd never go back into agency because it wasn't really for me, but an opportunity came up and I just thought, I'm going to have to go for it. I need to do this. Um, but even at every stage, so an interview, something was going, what are you doing? This isn't for you. Why are you doing this? And I was like, it'll be fine. It's fine. It's all, all going to be fine. Um, and then... I wasn't really looking forward to starting because I think I just knew that I just had a feeling I'm not going to be there very long. Um, So I probably like had created that own destiny around this. But I started and everything just, you know, didn't line up to the work that I like. Um, Culturally, it just felt totally wrong for me. It wasn't geared up for being, you know, a working parent. Um, The work wasn't really my cup of tea it was very technical so I was having to write about metal mesh codes and stuff like that which doesn't really float my boat very much so I think all of that and then just knowing that you know everything just didn't feel right I was making loads of mistakes and like silly stuff in in copy and you know just getting stuff wrong all the time and I started to really have a bit of a like panic panic thinking can I do this like I'm actually like good at what I do and um, needless to say so I like stuck that out for a few weeks just not wanting to be there um but really not knowing what to do because of course a lot of the time you are told or advised to like stay somewhere for a year um and that it's going to look bad on your CV, but actually your happiness is so much more important. Um, and then I finally was told to, like, politely, like, it's not really working, Laura. I think, um, you know, it's time for, you to, time for you to go. And I had a bit of a mixed feeling about it, where I was, like, really relieved, like, oh, I'm so glad about this. But then on the other side, what am I going to do now? And um, within a very short space of time within my network, a recruiter that I'd knowing had reached out and uh, you know provided my cv because i was back on the job market and he mentioned that they had a in-house role for somebody to work in marketing um and i snapped that up and it worked really well for me at the time because my daughter was quite young i was still doing a lot of school drop-offs and that type of thing um and it gave me time actually to just start building back my confidence in what i was doing and 
do something where and what I love is working in-house and building out marketing and they'd not had anybody in a position before it was a completely you know clean slate I had autonomy to build out a brand and really get involved in things that I really love doing and through that then you know it was where my career is then taken off from that moment of you know being told to be told it's not working out um and I think sometimes you do have to like look back connect the dots but at the time it can feel like the worst thing ever Mm. and like you've made this huge mistake like what is it going to look like to other people and you've got on your LinkedIn that you've just moved and people are congratulating you and then two minutes later you're not there anymore um but I think you've just got to get over that and you know the biggest I think learning curve from that is you know, if something might look good on paper and you might be, but you're trying to shoehorn how you actually feel about it, you've really got to think, think and take a, you know, a step back in yourself and go with what feels right for you. And even if you, you know, there's always going to be times that you're going to make mistakes and errors, but I totally did not listen to my gut in that instance. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that hadn't have happened, would I now be where I am? So I think everything does, you know, happen for a reason, as Definitely. they say, yeah, to be big, a bit of a spiritual mantra. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to end the show. And yeah, big believer in trusting your gut. Mm. I, I agree with that. So Laura, where can people um, connect with you if they want to um, if they want to message you or, or find out more about Engtel? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyone can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on, on there most most days. Um, it is our, you know, main platform for engagement so feel free to reach out to me and um, be great to connect and that's uh, laura brown um we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes that's it, yeah yeah so uh i want to put you on the spot for a second time and then we're done i promise um if you were us who would you interview next on the um socially unacceptable podcast there's a woman that i follow on linkedin that i'm a little bit obsessed with um she is I believe based in the States and she's called and forgive my pronunciation of her surname, but I think it's Mary Keoff, but she's head of marketing for a company um, called My Customers. Her insights are just so different from a lot of the stuff that you see. She, you know, cuts through any BS basically. Um, And I've learned a lot from her just within our own post. She shares a lot as well. Um, you know stuff that is usually behind closed doors within marketing um, and it's all very it's quite brutal but it's but it's good good listening um, but she's like my number one marketing person to to check in on and see what she's up to oh well, that's a good one mm. I'll have to check her out yeah, yeah. brilliant thank you very much so always trust your gut do you mm. trust your gut Vicky I have to <laughs> I have to trust the gut. Do you trust your gut? Uh, sometimes, yeah. You've got to, I do though, think it is, yeah. It is a fair point, though, and I think especially in situations like that where you know if you're making a career change or, you know, it just doesn't feel right, I think from the offset you need to... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. ...listen to that. Um, so remote working was, was a big focus in that, wasn't it? And mm. I think, you know, we all remote work. We do hybrid working, don't we, now um, at, um, at Prohibition, which I'm sure a lot of agencies do. But a lot of companies do have remote teams around the UK mm. and beyond. So not only dealing with remote working but dealing with the cultural differences of 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 working with um 
US teams, that must be a challenge. But there's some really helpful advice there, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And I think it's interesting, you know, that she's now that Laura's now started to build up that kind of Newcastle team as well. Because I guess when you're building up a team, a, a junior team, it's really important to have that knowledge and to be able to share and kind of meet up occasionally. But yeah, it was really interesting to get her insight into how, you know, she's working from a remote point of view with such a kind of startup US company that's that's done really well. Yeah, the um, nothing really replaces those face-to-face meetings, mm. though, does it? And I know you don't have to do that all the time, but 100% remote, where you never get to meet anyone, yeah. that must be incredibly difficult to to maintain the culture. You know, you get the culture right. People stay in stay in jobs. They they don't look elsewhere. They um, they overperform. Mm. But if you've never even met somebody. Yeah. Keeping that culture must be impossible, and I don't, I don't actually know the answer to that. So I, I do feel like it's the, mm. it's that kind of hybrid approach. Yeah, I feel like Laura's got the best of both worlds there. A bit of travel involved, I know, that'd be people, right, and it? then to, having your own space going to think to and Chai Town, yeah, you know, once a month or whatever yeah, it is. Not bad. Um, which I'm now obsessed with, having watched The Bear. No, can't I can't connect on this because I've not series. seen it. Okay, so. next time. Move on. Um, final point. I quite enjoyed our little chat about fuck ups. I've got a few more that I've thought of. Go on. Um, let's have a look. So. Quite, this one's quite recent, actually. I went to a big glitzy property awards dinner, mm-hmm. guest of the sponsor, sat at the top table, nothing less, mm. sat next to a very tall man. Turns out he was a very famous ex-sportsman who right. was the host for the show. Oh, uh, Everybody yeah. knew who he was. I sat down and said, so who do you work for then? I mean... He said, actually, I'm hosting the show. <laughs> very embarrassing. Was he, was he good about it, though? He was all right, yeah. He was yeah. banter central as well. He's great. I can't actually. believe you didn't recognise him, though. Yeah, but I've, I have problems with facial recognition. You know that. Yeah. You didn't mention his height, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Luckily, good. he was sat down at the yeah. time. Um, any more that you want to say? No, but I do feel a bit concerned about my Jedward one. I, I don't actually think the taxi ran over the foot. I think the, the mother the pretended to, so right. she could meet Jedward. So I just want to caveat you're that. Blaming, you're blaming the mother now? Yeah, I'm blaming the mother. We should <laughs> yeah. probably end it there. I know, yeah. I think right. that's it for me. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Socially Unacceptable. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Don't forget to follow us on social media on Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn at Prohibition PR and Twitter at Socially UA. We would love to hear some of your career fuck-ups so we can share them on the show. For more information on the show, search Prohibition PR in your search engine and click on podcasts. Until next time, please keep pushing the boundaries and embracing the socially unacceptable. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the endless cycle of social media updates? Feeling like you're shouting into the abyss without any true engagement or impact? Imagine if your social media efforts could be streamlined, targeted and effective, where each post you make resonates with your core audience and builds your brand effortlessly. Introducing Social360, our comprehensive social media audit and strategy program designed to turn your online presence into a powerful, engaging and rewarding experience. With Social360, you'll learn how to craft impactful content, engage with your audience more authentically and see all real results in your engagement and reach. If you'd like to find out more about whether the Prohibition 360 is the right fit for your social media goals, then I invite you to use the link in the show notes to book a 30-minute strategy call with me. During that call, you and I will work on your social media strategy and objectives, and leaving it, you will have a custom recommendation for your social media strategy in 2024. So just click the link in the podcast, and I'll see you there.